Well, welcome to church, everybody. It is wonderful to see you here today. If we've not met before, as Lee said, my name is Ben. I'm the vicar here. I'm married to Ellie, who was playing bass guitar in the band a little bit earlier. And we have the privilege, along with Lee and Meg and the rest of the team, of leading this amazing church called St. Thomas's. We planted just under two years ago. A group of us um, moved from all over the place, but mainly from York. Um, to get St. Thomas's, to kickstart St. Thomas's as um, what's called the resource church for the Diocese of Newcastle. And our vision is to be planting churches and seeing this region transformed um, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we are so excited about it. So if you've joined us for the first time today, then you've joined us on a really important and special part of our journey where things are just beginning to open up. And it feels like we're kind of replanting and regoing again after everything that's been happening over the past 18 months. But it is so wonderful to see you here today. Now here at St Thomas's we absolutely love worship, we love community together, but we are formed by one book, the living word of God, the Bible, and we are absolutely committed to sitting under the Bible's authority every single week and in our midweek groups as we gather. And so we're going to work through some verses together today, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read this to us. Please do keep this open in front of you as well, or get it open on the smartphone just so you can track with me through these verses as we go through them. So this is Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who'd been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle had been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anybody that you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see his guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Well, as I said earlier, it is so good to see you today. We are just finishing a sermon series called Our Family Home. We have this amazing vision that the Bishop of Newcastle and the Diocese have given us to plant churches and to see this region transformed with the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to see new churches planted all over the place. But we're aware that when people walk into a church building or encounter a group of people from any church, not just St. Thomas's, what they feel is not a vision statement. 
What they pick up and feel is how we love one another, the way that we treat one another, the way that we speak to one another, the way we welcome one another. What people feel is culture. And so for the past four weeks, we've been going through this vision, um, this, this um, sermon series, Our Family Home, where we've been asking God to teach us through his word, what kind of culture does a healthy church family have? Because that's what we're called to be with one another, family. And so we've been asking God to teach us in his word, what are some of the things that we need to learn? Four weeks ago, Brogan took us through 1 Corinthians 12, where we saw how all of us, everyone who follows Jesus, everyone who's part of St. Thomas's gets to play a part. It's not just for vicars, it's not just for the staff team. All of us are of equal importance and get to live out what it is that God has called us to do. Two weeks ago, we looked at how we're called to love one another and prefer the other. That was a fantastic talk from Adam. Please do go and download. Brogan's was also great. Download that as well. Um, That was Romans 12. Last week, again, download this one. Lee was cracking last week. 1 Corinthians 15, we looked at how at St. Thomas's, we're called to be a family that stands on the word of God alone. That's really integral to the culture that we want um, God, well, that we feel God is calling all churches um, to cultivate. And today we're looking at our family home where everybody is invited. Now, one of the ways I think that scripture teaches us that we're to invite people to experience and to see the goodness of God is to celebrate. The parable that we're looking at today, we'll go through it verse by verse in just a moment. The parable that we're looking at today says that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding party, like a banquet. Now, at St. Thomas's here, we want to be people of celebration. We want to be party people. Newcastle is known as a party city, but we have more reason to party than anybody else because we know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we know that he has chosen us and redeemed us and set us free. Celebration, I think, is one of the key spiritual disciplines. You know, you'll often hear people talking about fasting, which is super important, praying, super important, reading the Bible, do it every day. But we are also called to be people of celebration. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, put it like this. Celebration is central to all the spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines, spiritual disciplines, become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. Yeah. We're called to be people of celebration. In other words, church, we have been given joy. Our prayer, our Bible reading, our loving one another should always lead to joy. Now, that does not mean that we always walk around and we're completely happy all of the time. There's a difference between happiness and joy, but we know the deep, deep joy that comes from knowing the goodness of God. And we're called to share that with everybody that we meet. Now, with that in mind, let us work through these verses and this fantastic, Jesus is such an amazing storyteller, this amazing story that Jesus told. So let's start at verse two. So a king is holding a wedding banquet for his son. Now, Jesus tells us this parable, as I've said, to tell us what the kingdom of God is like. 
Now, this king wants to invite lots of people to the wedding banquet. So in verse 3, the king sends out um, to those who've been invited to the wedding, he sends out his servants to tell those who've been invited, come, come to the party. Everything is ready. The remarkable thing in this story, though, is that these people refused to come. Now, those listening to Jesus, this would have been a real, real surprise. Why on earth would anybody turn down an invitation to a royal wedding? Why would you say no to going to the social event of the year? About 10 years ago, when um, Will and Kate got um, married at Westminster Abbey, me and Lee and Rachel and Ellie did everything that we could just to get you know, near Westminster Abbey so that we could see them. These people have been invited to the royal wedding of not probably the century, and they've said no to coming. Now, if I got an invite to such a wedding, I wouldn't say, mm, just let me check my diary. Or let me see if I'm having my nails done that day, or whatever it might be. Of course, I'd say, yes, I would want to be there. Now, a few months ago, um, Ellie and I got an invite to Josh and Kennedy's wedding. Josh is on cameras um, at the back there. It's on, let me just get this right, Josh, it's on the 23rd of October, is that right? 23rd of October, in just a few weeks' time. Now, imagine if I waited until the very last minute to decide if I was going to go or not. Or if I said to Josh and Kennedy, you know, I might be busy that day, guys. Can I just let you know like 10 minutes before whether I'm going to turn up or not? Or how about, Josh and Kennedy, I'm not free that day, so why don't you have it on the 27th of November 2023? It would just be really, really rude, wouldn't it? It's going to be a fantastic wedding. Of course I want to be there. Now, in the parable that Jesus is telling, those that have been invited aren't saying no to Josh and Kennedy, as amazing as those guys are, no offence, guys, but they're saying no to the king. They're saying no to the person who owns everything. Now, this would have been unheard of in Jesus' day. In fact, it could have been, this could have been a charge of treason. You know, you've been summoned to the palace and you are not going. Verse 4. Now, in verse 4, the king is not happy that some of his guests are not coming to the party, and quite understandably so. But notice how gracious and how patient this king is. He sends more of his servants out to those who've been invited and says, look, the feast is ready. I've got everything prepared. The fattened calf is on the fire. It's roasting away on the barbecue. The best Malbec is out. Everything is ready. Come to the party. All you've got to do is turn up. Now, in verses 5 and 6, those who've been invited begin to make their excuses, a little bit like some of the excuses I was um, giving earlier. You know, someone goes off to his field, got some potatoes to dig up or something, I don't know. Someone goes back to work on his business. Now, who would spend the day working in a field, as lovely as that is, when you could go to this amazing royal wedding. Now, even worse, in a really, really dramatic plot twist, again, this would have been shocking to those hearing Jesus tell this parable, some of the guests who've been invited turn on the servants and murder them for giving them an invitation to a wedding. I mean, this is just absolutely crazy, isn't it? What on earth is going on here? As I said before, this would have been tantamount to treason. Now, um, a few years ago now, I don't have time to tell this story in full, but a few years ago I got invited to a drinks reception with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Um, 
I'll tell you the full story another time or ask me over pizza at the end. But an invite came from Buckingham Palace to go and have drinks, you know, these, these drinks with them. They just got married and they were coming to Cambridge to celebrate the fact they'd just become Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. I was living there at the time. Now imagine if I tracked down the person who sent me the invite from Buckingham Palace, not just to say no, which would have been bad enough, but to murder the guy who wrote the invitation. That is what is going on here in this parable. It's outrageous and it is pure evil. Verse 7, the king is absolutely enraged and he sends his army to deal with these murderers, now probably quite justified as well. You know, these rebels have basically declared war on the king. Now in verses 8, 9 and 10, the king gives another message and this is perhaps the most shocking of all. He says to the servants that are still alive and haven't been murdered, Those I did invite did not deserve to come. So basically, go into the streets, go to the street corners, and everybody that you find, whether good or bad, young or old, everybody that you find, invite them to the wedding banquet. Now, this is really interesting, these verses, because those listening to Jesus would have known that the kinds of people that got invited to the royal wedding would have been the rich, the famous, the landowners, the Pharisees, the, peop- the religious leaders, the people that were ruling in the synagogues and the temples, the political elite, other members of the royal family and high society. Those were the types of people that had got the original invite and those were the people that said no. That's just the way that these events worked in Jesus' day. The king would have invited first the upper echelons of society. But now the servants are going to, the street, to go to the street corners and they're to invite anybody that they can find, the good as well as the bad. In other words, those who did not deserve to be invited in the first place and those who did not expect to be there are getting an invitation from this good and gracious king. Now the fact that the king tells his servants to go to the street corners is really interesting. So in Jesus's time, the street corners would be where all the different streets of the city converged. So in Jerusalem, you know, the street corners would be where all the main trunk roads into the city would converge, and that would be the street corner. In Newcastle, an equivalent street corner might be right outside St. Thomas's Church front door. That would be one of these street corners of the city where everybody's walking past and milling around. Now, in Jesus' day, at the street corners, you would find absolutely everybody. That's where trade happened. It's where conversations happened. It's where people shared ideas, all of that kind of thing. So at the street corners, you would find the young and the old. You'd find the rich and the poor. You'd find the religious and the irreligious. You'd find the good and the mad. You'd find business people. You'd find prostitutes. You'd find the crippled. You'd find the healthy. Everybody would be there. These were not the types of people, though, that you would expect to be invited to a royal wedding. Now, the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus tell this parable, they're like the religious, the religious elite of, of their day. Um, they would have been absolutely horrified at what Jesus was saying here. The Pharisees thought that the only people that were in were the people that they considered completely pure and clean. The Pharisees thought that you had to somehow earn your way to heaven. You had to earn your way to the kingdom of God. But the parable that Jesus is telling here says, well, look at all of these different types of people that get to be part 
of the banquet. The Pharisees had very clear idea about who was in and who was out. And the people that Jesus is talking about here were definitely, definitely out. Now in verses 11, 12 and 13, the wedding banquet we read is completely full. And the king comes to the party to greet his guests, which would have been one of the highlights of the occasion, by the way. You know, the king coming out into the banqueting hall to to greet everybody and to go around and say hello to everyone. And so the king comes in and he sees somebody there who is not wearing the the right um, wedding clothes. And the king is not happy. In fact, in verse 12, the, the king turns to this guy and says, how on earth did you get in? And the man is completely speechless. He has no answer. And so what happens in verse 13 is that the king asks his servants to throw this man out of the party into outer darkness. Now, what is going on here? This, on first reading, this can seem like a pretty harsh reaction from the king, can't it? This guy's turned up at the party, he's wearing the wrong clothes, and the king basically just throws him out where he's going to be destroyed forever. I mean, it seems like a pretty extreme reaction. What on earth is going on? Why is this man thrown out for wearing the wrong clothes? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, does it? After all, the king's staff have just gone to the street corners where people would have not been dressed in finery. Lots of people would have just been wearing rags. People would have been dressed in all kinds of different things at the street corners. And none of them have been thrown out. So why has this guy been thrown out? Well, this kind of wedding wasn't like, you know, when when you watch a royal wedding on the telly when Harry and Meghan got married, or or indeed William and Kate a few years ago. And, you know, the BBC have these special commentary teams just to commentate on the, the dress that Victoria Beckham's turned up in and how much it's worth. That wasn't how things worked here. These people that have been invited could not have afforded a wedding, a wedding outfit. Many of them would have never, ever been to this kind of event before. So to make sense of what is going on here, we just need to explore some of the original context that Jesus is, is speaking into here. So in the first century, in the um, Middle Near East, if a king threw a party, then he would provide all of the clothes for his wedding guests. So if you got invited to the palace, the king would invite you and he'd write you a cheque to buy a really special outfit from his favourite tailors. Or he'd get you measured up and, and you know, he'd give you an outfit when you arrived. You didn't have to worry about what to wear. The king would clothe you on arrival. In other words, the king clothed you at his own expense. Now, this is really significant, as, as you'll see as we, as we continue through this story. The king clothed the guests at his own expense. So this man was thrown out, not simply because of the clothes that he was wearing, that the king didn't like them. It was that he wasn't wearing the clothes that the king had provided. He was supposed to turn up and be clothed in a royal outfit. And he thought he could get away with just coming as he was. Now, I suspect, and lots of commentators say this, that this person here was one of the earlier people who'd heard about the wedding banquet, knew that it was coming, made an excuse, perhaps got involved in the plot to murder the king's messengers. And suddenly he saw loads of people coming. 
maybe people that he'd traded with on the street corners and he suddenly got FOMO. I was like, oh my gosh, that, that amazing royal wedding, I've got to be there. But by the time he got there, the king's already clothed everybody and it is too late for him. In other words, there was a deadline. He missed it. He didn't get clothed in the royal outfit and it was too late. Now Jesus ends this parable by saying this, many are invited, but few are chosen. Wow, what a story. As I said earlier, Jesus is an amazing storyteller. But what does it mean for us today as we sit here in Newcastle in 2021? What does it mean for you if you've just moved to the city? What does it mean for you as you follow God's call into the workplace, wherever it is that he has called you to? Well, as Lee said earlier, our vision here at St. Thomas is to be a church that, is to be a church that follows Jesus builds community, and loves Newcastle. Now, with those three things in mind, let's just work out how we apply these verses to the specific situation that God has called all of us to today. So firstly, following Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus is telling this parable so that we might know what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a wedding banquet that is being thrown for a king by a king for his son. Now, Jesus, of course, is saying to all of us through this parable that the kingdom of heaven is like a celebration thrown by God the Father for his son, Jesus Christ, as he rescues and redeems his people, the people that he's choosing and saving and redeeming and restoring and pouring out all of his love on. The kingdom of heaven is a party and Jesus is uniting us to himself. Now, there are so many images of weddings and parties in, in the Bible to describe God's rule and reign. Lee, Lee read one out to us just a little bit earlier. The last book of the Bible ends with a wedding, Christ being united with his bride, the church. We're one day, those of us that are following Jesus, they're going to be at a wedding celebration and it's going to be the best party you have ever, ever seen. And look, what Jesus is communicating to us, all of us today, through this parable is this, that God is inviting you, he's inviting many people to join the celebration, the little echoes of it that that echo around the earth now. We're experiencing some of it today, we'll experience some of it a little bit later as we have pizza together. But he's inviting all of us to that eternal party that will never, ever, ever end. And the good news for all of us, you might be sitting here today thinking, well, I'm not religious. I'm not good enough. If only you knew, Vicar, what I'd done, then you'd know that there's no way that I could be in that party. Well, we'll come on to that in just a little bit moment. But what we see in this parable is this, that it's not about how good you are. It's not about whether you're one of the in crowd or not. That's how the Pharisees behaved. It's about who is giving you the invitation. And you've been invited by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords by God himself. But being at the wedding party means being there in the right clothes. Now remember, in the parable, the person who was thrown out of the party came dressed in his own clothes. He was not clothed at the king's expense. He was, cling- he was clothed at his own expense. 
Now, what Jesus, of course, is communicating to us through this is this. If we try and clothe ourselves at our own expense, if we think that we can somehow earn our way into that celebration and that feast, if we think that we can get in on our own merit, we are very much mistaken. We must be clothed at God's expense. Now, how does that work? Well, there's a few Bible verses in the Old Testament. I'll read one of them and lots in the New Testament about being clothed with the stuff that God gives us. Here's one from Isaiah 61. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. Here's one from Paul in the New Testament, Galatians 3:27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, in other words, for those of us that are following Jesus, we've been clothed at God's expense. We don't have to try and clothe ourselves because we will never, ever get it right. Now, how have we been clothed at God's expense? Well, we've been clothed at God's expense because Jesus came, God himself, in the person of Jesus came to this earth, died the death that I should have died, lived the life that I should have lived, and did it in my place so that he took on on the cross all of everything that was wrong with me and exchanged his perfection and clothed me in it. I was clothed at God's expense because Jesus died for me. Now, this is why following Jesus is the best thing. It's the best thing because we don't have to try and work our way into God's good books. We don't have to try and work our way into the wedding banquet. God has done all the work for us. Now this explains, doesn't it, why the man in the parable was completely speechless. He did not have an answer for why he was there. Now one day we'll be at a wedding banquet the wedding banquet of all wedding banquets, the party of all parties. And if you get asked why you're there, you just say, because Jesus has clothed me at his expense. And that's the only thing you need. If we say to God, I have to get in because I've done this, this and this. You know, you must let me in to, you must let me in God because I've been on so many mission trips. You must let me in God because I spent all of those years working at St. Thomas's. You must let me in, God. All those years I've been working for the diocese in Newcastle. You must let me in because of everything that I've done. It doesn't work like that. We can't clothe ourselves at our own expense. Paul put it like this a little bit later on in Galatians. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, church... This is good news for all of us, isn't it? It means that we don't have to try and try and try to work up our own identity. It means that we don't have to strive and strive and strive to earn our place in heaven. We just have to admit that we're, that we're flawed, say sorry to Jesus, and accept that he's clothed us at his expense. Now, the second thing about following Jesus in this parable that we learn through this is that we're to be like the messengers in this parable, and we're to invite everybody we meet to come and follow Jesus. 
Now, as I said, St. Thomas's is an amazing location, isn't it? What a fun... If you haven't seen it yet, if you just moved to the city, it's right opposite the entrance to Newcastle University at the top of, the, of Northumberland Street. It is the best location. And as I said, it is like the crossroads in the parable that Jesus told. And we're to invite everybody that we meet who walks through those doors, but not just walks past those doors, but in our lecture theatres, in our halls of residence, our family, on our streets. We're to say to people, come and taste and see that God is good. This is why, this parable is why we were giving out so much free pizza last week. Because it's a little foretaste, isn't it, of inviting people to a party, to an amazing banquet. So we're allowed to follow Jesus because of what Jesus has done, but we're to extend that invitation to many. We're to follow Jesus. Second part of our vision statement is building community. And this parable has a lot to say about building community. And actually, community isn't, it's a great word, but it's deeper than that. Jesus doesn't want us just to build community. He wants us to build family. And this parable reveals to us the kind of family and community the kingdom of God is. All types of people are invited, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, those who are from England, those who are from Hong Kong. Everybody is invited, Jew and Gentile. Do you see the kind of community that the church is supposed to be? Do you see the type of family that we're supposed to be, where we love one another, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of what we've done in the past? Do you see the kind of community that Jesus wants to build through St. Thomas's in this city today? The reason the church is the most wonderful thing is because it's the most diverse and yet the most united community that you could ever be part of. Diverse because we have all kinds of different backgrounds. United because we gather around the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and the authority of his word. Diverse because we come from different parts of the world, but united because we've all been clothed at God's expense in a royal wedding outfit. Now, community church has never been more important. Those of you that are arriving for Freshers Week now, I pray that you have three years of non-socially distanced university education, and it's the best three years of your life so far. But for those of you that have been at university for the past two years, if you're in your third year, for example, you got four months of normal university, and then it was all ripped from you. And last year was a bit odd. Last year, second-year students, if there's any of you here, there's a few of you here, what Freshers' Week for you was a little bit odd, wasn't it? It was very, very strange. There was no community. People were literally, some students were locked in their, in, their, um, in their halls of residence and not allowed to leave. And that hurt. It hurts because we're made to socialise with people. It hurts because we are made for community. More than that, we are made for family. It hurt that we couldn't go into each other's homes. It hurt that Ryan, who we'd been getting to know for five months, had to just fly back to the other side of the world and we're not seeing him for 18 months. Welcome back, Ryan. It's great to see you. It, it hurt that we couldn't spend time with more people. It was awful that we couldn't hug in church, that we couldn't lay hands on each other in prayer ministry. It hurt that we couldn't have coffee together afterwards. It was awful that it was against the law to go into each other's homes. I mean, that just seems like absolute madness now, doesn't it? But it happened. The reason it hurt is because we are created for community. We were created to be in community with God, 
who is the perfect community, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and community with each other. The reality about the pandemic, though, is this, that even before the pandemic, we know that community wasn't great. So if you're here and you're aged between 16 and 24, you'll know that you have more connections with any generation that has ever existed before you through social media and networking and all of that kind of thing. But you're also the loneliest generation that has ever lived. There was an article that I read just a few weeks ago now. Um, I forgot which newspaper it was in, but it said that the average 34-year-old could count on one hand the number of friends they had and that 20% of 34-year-olds and under had one or no friends. There's something going on in the world and it needs fixing. The only person that can fix it is Jesus. The only community that can fix it is the church. Church, we need each other. And we need all the people that God is calling from the, from the street corners. We need each other. Now, sometimes in the UK, it can seem like the church is just for the middle class. You know, some, you, know you hear that all the time, don't you? The church is just a middle class phenomena. Or the church is just for, the, for old people. Well, look around. We say no to that in Jesus' name. Church is for everybody. Now, here at St. Thomas's, we're absolutely committed to being this kind of community that models church is for everybody. We're committed to being family together. We're committed to being your family, whether you've been here a hundred times or you've been here for the first time. We will not always get things right. We will get things wrong. But together we're committed to seeing Newcastle and this region transformed with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are family together. Regardless of who you are, your experience or where you're from, if you've been called by Jesus, you are welcome here. And we love you because Jesus loves you. Thirdly, the final part of our vision statement is loving Newcastle. Now, in this parable, the king, who represents God, sends his servants out to the street corners, as I've said, to the highways and the byways to invite people to the wedding feast. Now, as I've said, we are to do the same. We are called to love Newcastle by telling everyone that we meet of the great feast that awaits everybody who put their trust in Jesus. That's not just my job. It's all of our jobs. We're all called to invite people to the banquet. We're all called to invite people to come and be clothed at God's expense. The reality is, our vision statement says loving Newcastle. God loves Newcastle and this region a million billion times more than we do. And that's why he's called this church into being, along with every other church that is working in this city, in this region. We're just a tiny little part of what God is doing. But think of all the churches together who are working um, to invite people to this banquet and saying to people, will you come? Will you join in? I'll just end with a story. Um, If you've been here for a while, you'll know this story already, but if it's your first time, let me tell you the story because I think it's pretty cool. St. Thomas's has existed in Newcastle since 1171. It used to be down on the quayside, 
and people would, in the, mid, in the medieval times, Newcastle was like a real centre of pilgrimage. People would come to Newcastle and they'd stop at St Thomas's and pray and they'd walk up the hill up Pilgrim Street in the city centre and they'd come to this little part of Newcastle where people were encountering Jesus and being healed and reading the Bible and, all kind of, and being baptised in, in mass numbers. And that part of Newcastle, God was so at work that it became known as Jesus' Mound or Jesmond. Jesmond, the mound of Jesus. We're sat there today. Now, St. Thomas has played a really you know, significant part of that in terms of welcoming the pilgrims. Thousands upon thousands of people got, um, got baptised in the, in the Usburn, basically Jesmond Dean. There's a little chapel to commemorate it if you ever want to go and have a wander through Jesmond Dean and see it. St. Thomas's has always played a key role in the life of this city. Fast forward to early 1800s. St. Thomas's had dwindled to a small congregation. A handful of people, the service registers from the time say. And at that time, two Anglican ministers from Beverly. Now, if you didn't know, me and Lee are both from Beverly. Two Anglican ministers arrive in Newcastle to, to move, to replant St. Thomas's and to move it from the quayside up into the city centre where it is today. They began preaching the gospel and thousands and thousands and thousands of people's lives were transformed. The poor were served. Kids that couldn't afford to go to school got educated in their hundreds by St. Thomas's. On any given Sunday in 1851, 900 young people were at St. Thomas's every single Sunday. Children and young people worshipping Jesus. The congregation grew from about six to an average of 2,396 in that, in that particular year. The thing that happened just before all of those people started to come and the city began to experience some of the life of the gospel and you know, the poor being served and all this kind of thing, there's descriptions in history books saying that there was a pandemic in Newcastle. The streets were deserted, trade came to a, trade came to a standstill, clergy were rushed off their feet, doctors didn't know what to do, the hearse met you at every corner, all the ministers were completely overwhelmed and overworked, and yet at St Thomas's they kept preaching the gospel and the people's lives were transformed for the better with the good news of Jesus Christ. They fed the poor, they did what was basically in this parable. Now church, we are called to do the same today. We're called to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast, that you're invited, and that together as we follow Jesus, build community and love Newcastle, we could see not only our lives transformed, not only our housemates and our flatmates and our course mates and our colleagues, but the whole region transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand where you are? We're going to respond together as the band come up. Now, as I said, whether this is your first time here or your 100th time here, we would love for you to join in with what God is doing here. Um, we, in fact, I'd say, if, if, you, if you're wanting to call St. Thomas's home, we more than want you to join in. We need you, because as I said, we need each other. We need your gifts. We need the person that God has created you to be. We would love for all of us to join in with this amazing vision that God um, has given um, us to play our part in here in Newcastle and in the North East. So why don't we just take a moment just to respond and ask the Holy Spirit 
to apply the word of truth to our lives. We don't want this just to be a, you know, a nice parable that the vicar talked through. We want the word of God to change our lives so that we live differently as a result of God's word. And so we're just going to pray that most ancient prayer of the church. Lee and Meg prayed it earlier. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. The first way we're going to respond today is if you're here and you know that you have been working to clothe yourself at your own expense, when there's a free gift waiting for you, the King of Kings has got a wedding outfit that he's made just for you and it doesn't fit anybody else, it's yours. Um, If you know that you've been working um, to clothe yourself, if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet or you've been coming to church for a while but you know that you've you've been... trying to do it all in your own strength I'm going to pray a very simple prayer and it basically says sorry for all the wrong in my life sorry that I've been trying to clothe myself at my own expense and thank you God that you've done it for me help me to live in the wedding outfit that you've made for me so I'm going to pray this prayer now and if this is for you just echo it in the quiet of your heart Father, loving God, I say sorry for working to clothe myself at my own expense. I'm so tired and weary of trying to do it all myself. And God, I want to say sorry. Sorry for all the stuff in my life that I know is wrong. And thank you that you clothe me at your expense by sending Jesus to die for me and to rise that I might have newness of life. Come into my life, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now just keep your eyes closed. Um, If you prayed that maybe for the first time in a while or you prayed it for the first time today, do you want to just, everyone's got their eyes closed, only I can see. Do you want to just raise a hand where you are? Because we'd love to give you a Bible, um, and we'd love to give you a, a book. Thank you. Keep your, just keep your hands raised, just so I can clock you all. Brilliant, brilliant. Great. Um, please do come and tell either myself or Lee or Meg or Brogan at the end um, that you've done that because we would love to pray with you and give you this book, 14 Days. Now for the rest of us, we're going to respond just by asking, well, for everyone, even if you just pray that prayer for the first time, we're going to respond by asking the Holy Spirit to help us to play our part in this family that God has called us to, the church. Whether you settle at this church or somewhere else, this is what God's calling us to. And so let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. May we know your transforming power and share that with all that we meet. 
we're going to sing um, this song together and I'd really encourage us just to use this as a prayer and for our families, for our um, course mates, for our flatmates, for those people that we've just met and to almost sing it and declare it prophetically over this region that we're inviting many. All we can do is invite. It's God who does the saving, God does the choosing, but we're called to invite. And so let's sing this prophetically over this region. Picture your friends, picture your family as we sing, come to Jesus. He's the only one who can save you and give you all that you need. Amen.